Okay. And we're off to the races. So uh, I'm gonna run down, oh, we got a bunch more. Um, we're gonna run down the schedule for tonight just so it's a little bit better laid out than it has been. Um, and then we will go straight to Kia's stuff after that. So hello everyone, good evening. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Welcome. So tonight is our, what is this, our fourth month? of the series. Tonight is Body Politics with Kia Jarman. We're thrilled to have her here. Tonight we're going to, we're going to spend a few minutes catching up and then we're going to let Lauren and Kelly do a short intro to the team. And then Ashley is going to talk about where we are in the series and what is happening next month. And then we will spend 10 to 15 minutes touching on the homework from last time, just kind of reviewing where we've been so far. We have already gone through three months of content, and so it's a lot to be going through and processing. So we're just gonna check back in a little bit, and then we'll introduce Kia and jump right into her workshop. Let me turn off Kenny G. Sorry. So I'm gonna go ahead and hand it over to Lauren and Kelly just to open the way they'd like to open and talk to the team for a second and then go from there. Thank you, Liz. And I just wanna say thank you, Ashley and Kia and Courtney who I haven't met yet, but nice to meet you. Um, yeah, just thank you so much for your leadership these past, well, now this fourth session, I can't believe it. Um, thank you for creating the space. And thank you for each of you on the Shakti team for showing up tonight. Um, I think understanding body politics is super important for what we do. And um, the people here, like on the screen right now, you guys have been showing up to these sessions. And um, I just, I just acknowledge you for taking your time. And I think that this work does best when we're doing it together. And so I acknowledge you and appreciate each of you for being here. And I don't feel like I have to remind you guys because you are the people that show up and let yourself be seen and also share openly. And so my heart is racing right now because I don't know, <laughs> it is racing. And, um, and I think throughout these sessions, each time I've shared, my heart has been racing a little bit. So I think we're getting it. Like we don't have to perfectly, we don't have to get it right. But um, I think the more each of us shares, the more we're going to get out of this. And so I just acknowledge you for turning on your cameras, for being seen. Lauren and I are so grateful for this opportunity to learn together. And um, yeah, I just want to say thank you. Lauren, do you have anything you want to say? Thank you. Um, yeah, thank you, Liz. Thank you, Ashley, the whole Triluna team. Um, <laughs> kind of like Kelly said, the people on here right here, are, um, yeah, like, thank you for showing up and taking your time and like knowing that th this is important work. And um, I was like, look, Kelly's like heart's beating. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, cause it's uncomfortable and it's something that it's new. And I'm so grateful that um, we're talking about it together and that we have leaders in the community like Triluna to hold the space for us to share and also learn from other leaders in the community that you guys have reached out to so we can um, 
just be better humans for humans. And, um, and I've just learned a lot about what I thought I might be doing as a business owner, as a human being. And, you know, my intention and not really like not putting any of that into action and just letting it be. And I'm really grateful for the, just the content thus far that I've learned of that. I have what I haven't been doing. And, um, I've been putting a lot of thought into that and I'm grateful for the conversations that I've had with some of you on the screen, um, like after these that we've really got to connect and, um, share openly and just, um, dive deeper. So I appreciate you guys for being open and having those conversations with us and with each other and just to continue to do that. So thank you. Liz, you're on mute. <clears throat> do that all the time. Uh, thank you, Lauren and Kelly, for that uh, and for bringing us into the space and for doing this work with us. Before we jump into the homework, Ashley is going to talk a little bit about what's coming up and then maybe if we're lucky, she'll do some breathing with us. Yeah, we'll see. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I want to go back to what Lauren and Kelly said before I talk about the rest of the series because this is a conversation that I've actually been having with other people that I wanna have with you guys. Um, coming into this, it all started with Mern wanting to sit down and have a conversation with me. And I told Mern that I had to be completely honest about what this community made me feel like as a black yoga instructor and student. And I will tell you, I have, see nothing but you guys come and show up, you know, not only through what Triluna is offering you, but I see other ways that you're showing up in the community. I see the other work that you're doing outside of us. And it takes continuous every day, even when you're tired, you show up and you're doing it. And I just wanna say like, I'm starting to eat my words because I'm glad that I was able to express. I was glad that I was heard. And I'm glad that Kelly and Lauren listened when we said it started with you guys to trickle down into this community that you've created. So again, I thank you. And um, it's not over. We'll continue you know, to show up even after this. But we are in the fourth one. I missed you guys last time. I'm sorry I couldn't be there. Um, but we're in the fourth one and this one is very special to me because also you know as the only black yoga instructor mostly the only black student in the class that a lot of times there's a lot of language that is used that is very harmful to uh, other communities which you wouldn't even think about like the way we talk about our bodies the way we talk about the food that we eat you know, the, the, the access to different types of food that we have access to. And I love Kia so much because I'm very attracted to transparent people, people who are realist, people who are truth speakers. And I'm very honored that she decided to be a part of this. So I think all of you can learn and it goes beyond this, you know, Kia, she stays busy on social media to keep us all aware of what's going on at all times. So I encourage you, 
If you're not following her, it's Kia Jarman on Instagram, right? That's right. So go ahead and follow her right now. Tonight, I'm really excited about, it's going to be hard. It's, it's going to be truth, you know, but it's, it's been hard and it's going to it continue to be hard. So we're here. And so next time we have Courtney, as you can see uh, on here, and Courtney will be a part of our next module. Um, Courtney is a friend of Liz and ours outside of all of the yoga things. She's, I would say Courtney is one of our business friends. <laughs> and since everything started, I immediately saw Courtney do some things in this community. She spoke on where she came from, what she's been through and where she is now. And I have so much respect. And I think she is a true definition of what an ally is. And so she's going to be talking to us about what that looks like, what that journey has been for her and Courtney, as well as a true speaker. So I'm a, again, I'm going to keep bringing the truth to you guys every time. So I'll stop rambling and I'm going to take it back to Liz so we can do a wonderful introduction to Kia and give her all the props that she deserves. So, Liz. Thank you, Ashley. Um, before we pop into the full module, we're just going to take a few minutes to revisit some of what we've been through um, and create some space for you guys to talk, question, ask questions, talk about things you've learned. I'm going to very briefly review those questions and then whatever you guys want to bring to the table is up to you. If you just want to experience share, if you have questions about allyship or any of the things we've talked about, we'll go from there. So the first one was spend some time with the definitions from chapter two. Notice how they come up in your everyday life. Do you notice any of them happening? What about Rachel Cargill's Sunday school lessons? Is there one in particular that resonates with you? The second one was think through the conditions in the studio or in other jobs that maintain a culture where BIPOC are excluded or in what ways can you all slash they improve or add to change that narrative. And then uh, I'm going to skip down to the one specific to this one, which was looking at looking back at unpacking the invisible knapsack, which we talked about in the first one, I think. Start to highlight and think through new examples and how this relates specifically to the body and to the wellness slash health community. What kind of awareness can you bring to draw around BIPOC bodies, how they're policed and how they're treated differently? If it helps, you can look at the list of diet culture words referenced in the workbook. And I know that we have a lot to unpack. So those are our jumping off points for questions starting conversation. We've got about 10 minutes and I really don't want to take out of any, any of Kia's time. So we'll just jump right into it. And again, as usual, we are here to sit in uncomfortable silence as long as it takes for someone to speak up. I'll share uh, one that I have had multiple conversations that keeps coming up and definitely as a yoga teacher is um, spiritual bypassing. And, um, and I think I've really never thought about just how easy it is for me or as a teacher, like just kind of slap on it affirmation, like it'll all be okay. Or like just breathe or, you know, or just, and not, um, yeah, just like kind of devaluating, like, devaluing the situation that somebody could be going through and like don't worry this yoga quote from this book that I read will take care of it and just let it go 
Um, so I've been really thinking about that often when I'm like theming classes or just, you know, just looking at the people in the class and I can't tell what's going on with, you know, but just knowing coming from a clear space and a, um, just a more compassionate space. So I've just, I was talking about that, you know, we do a gratitude challenge every Thanksgiving. Like we do, Kelly and I do a class and our theme is like gratitude changes everything. And, um, no, it doesn't, but it, I mean, it sounds nice, but then we like changed it. And I would not have thought about shifting that language if it wasn't for this work that we're doing instead of we like the power of gratitude. So really people can change, you know, think of that however they wish in the practice. So that's just one thing that I've gotten present to. Thank you, Lauren. That's a very good example. What about thinking back to the invisible knapsack and kind of the unspoken privileges that we have in our bodies? And have you noticed any of that and how that's changed? I'll go. Um, I've been just, I took a couple of the implicit bias tests that were sent out in the email and the first one I took um, was about like weapons and stuff. And as I was taking it, I was like realizing before it even finished, like what it was going to show me. And, you know, it's good to have that like on paper and see just like, okay, this is where I stand kind of. And then, but I've also just been trying to pay attention more to everyday life, like things that I assume to be true. And so like one of the things I work in a restaurant and um, like I can walk in a place and people assume I'm there to dine there, not to like come work the back of the house or to pick up a to-go order for like food delivery services um, and just, or like I'm not there to deliver something. Um, and just, I've seen that both in myself and my coworkers, uh, just like what we guess people are there for, I guess. Um, and just kind of like for myself taking a step back and asking myself, okay, well, why did I assume this person was here for this instead of this? Um, yeah. Thank you, Amanda. Anyone else? Um, sorry. No, go ahead. Thank you, Kelly. Well, no, I was just, I mean, but two things, just that Lauren shared. It was so funny because I wrote a description for a workshop and Lauren was like, what about the word manifest? And so, and I read on Rachel Cargill's Instagram, she wrote, is it manifesting or is it white privilege? And um, I mean, just like that smallest thing in the name of a workshop. And I got a little, not like straight up defensive, but I was like, really? And then I was like, oh yeah, like I manifest teacher training because I have the privilege of having a business, you know, and have money and to do that. And like, so I think it's just like, even the, the words that I use to invite people to a workshop, how simple that is, but I would not have, I would not have become aware of it if Lauren had been like, 
the words cleanse, manifest, like just rethink these words. There's other words to use that are more inviting. And then I took the implicit bias test about, you know, um, like fat or thin or good or bad words. And um, I just got, I was annoyed at myself a little bit, like, but it was like, you know, it's so natural to be like, these words are the negative words. Um, yeah. Anyways, the results were like, you have a strongly preference towards thin people. Mm -hmm. And I, I was like, well, so yeah, I didn't love reading that about myself, but that was true. I mean, on that test that I took. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that Kelly. I'm interested to hear if anybody is willing to, cause Ashley and I had a conversation about this earlier. She had told a friend that she was going to be doing body politics this evening as part of the diversity and inclusion training. And they kind of were like, how is that related to diversity and inclusion? Um, and of course, Ashley talked them through that, through it. And at the end they understood, but I'm curious if anybody wants to go out on a limb and talk about how they think they are related and maybe what we'll be discussing this evening. Um, I'd like to share actually this, it's been on my mind because um, actually I myself have been discriminated against because of my body all of my life. And um, I'm interested to see, get yeah, what's different from um, the BIPOC perspective because it's happened to me when I was in a thinner body. It's happened to me when I was in a bigger body. It happens to me currently. It happens, it's happened to me in almost every area of my life. And um, I, I just don't really know how it's different. And I, I'm interested to know how it's different. I wanna comment um, on something. I And I can relate, Joe, to that because um, by me being an African, well, black woman, not African-American, whatever, um, by me being a black woman and I am on the thinner side. So like in some senses, when I go into like, we'll just talk about the yoga community as a whole. So like when I go there, I feel that I am more quote unquote accepted because I am thinner, which is what I feel like the European ideal like Western, you know, society leans towards is like the thinner look. So in a lot of ways, but then I have peers who are, you know, they're more shapely, they have more butt, more hips, more everything. So I've, I can relate in both instances where with other black women or black people, I can be looked at like, oh, you're just a skinny black girl. Um, whereas if I go in a yoga community, it's like, oh, you fit in with us because you're thin. And then it's like, but it's just, it's a weird dynamic because I also feel like, see the thing with like the black community, you have dark skin and you have light skin. And I don't know how familiar people are with that, but within dark and light, there's like a, a superiority and inferiority complex with darker and lighter skin within the black community. And because I am a lighter skin black woman and I have freckles and I have things that are considered like more appeasing to have as a black woman. Um, I feel like a lot of times I get treated like the token black girl. Like, I feel like because I don't necessarily talk what a lot of people would consider like ghetto or I don't talk like a certain way that I'm more accepted by white people. Whereas when I see my black friend or my sister or somebody else come into that same community, I kind of see them get cold shouldered a little bit more than I do. 
Um, and that's not to say I haven't been in communities where I have been cold shouldered, uh, even in the yoga community, because I've experienced that too. I've experienced where I haven't been welcomed in. I haven't been greeted. I, um, I'm just kind of like looked around and looked over, um, looked down upon. It's like an energy thing that I could feel. So I've experienced it from all different angles too. Um, so I just wanted to piggyback off that, that I can relate to that within my own community and within the yoga community and within the white community in all ways. Jasmine, thank you very much for sharing that. And Joanna, I would love to revisit that at the end of this conversation and see if you have follow-up and what you think maybe has changed and or what you've learned or gotten out of it. Thank you guys. Thank you, everybody. We are bumping up against the time that I'd like to give for Kia. So do we have any last minute thoughts, things that we want to address, maybe even things that you hope you will learn about or get through tonight before we move on. I was just going to share, there's this really great piece just in this conversation about like, how is body politics connected to um, diversity and inclusion or race? And um, this historian, Jennifer Morgan has this, well, she's an amazing historian, but she has this article. I can throw the citation in the chat. It's pretty historical, but she basically traces the discourse from British and French um, explorers from the 15th century. And it was like white male European explorers, right? That are writing about African women and indigenous women in the Americas and in Africa. Like this is like pre-plantations, pre-colonies, right? Like it, as we're talking about like colonialism, capitalism, and, you know, race and gender, and the way that they constructed based on their perceptions and based on their like economic motives, um, the way that they constructed Black bodies and Black women's bodies and embodiment was very much around like their bodies, their physical bodies and labor. And I just, that piece is so striking to me because of like the centuries that it the roots basically of um what we're talking about today and all of its connections i don't know if it's coming across but it's it's a really strong piece um and really shows i think like the roots of the discourse and the practices and the things that we're thinking about right now and today so i wanted to add that yeah 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 thank you kat um if you guys haven't read Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia, it is like that article, but like 250 very well-written but academic pages. Uh, it's an incredibly powerful text. I'm sure Kia, Kia definitely has, I think, a mind for history and the connections there. So I'm sure we're going to get into this. So I'm going to go ahead and hand it over to her. Um, Kat, if you will put that link in, I'll link to that book too. And we'll go from there. Okay. Kia's bio is like a million pages long. She is one of the most qualified and must be busy people on planet earth. Uh, one of my favorite things about her bio, which I actually read, she did a panel for us in February, I think, is that February? Uh, about building diverse communities. And so that, that's like, we knew about her before, but I really started to study who she was then. And in her bio, it said that she's a kiss with a fist. And I was like, 
that is someone I want to get to know. And that is so true. She is a commanding presence. She is incredibly intelligent and she knows what she is talking about. She is the agency director for MEPR agency, which is a people-centric boutique um, that works with communities and communications, right? So she has been recognized by like a hundred different organizations. She made the 40 under 40 for the National Business Journal. She was recognized by 100 Black Women of Nashville, the Minority Business Center as a Minority Business of the Year and the Middle Tennessee Diversity Forum. She has a passion really for philanthropy and mentorship. And a lot of the work she does is around philanthropy and connecting people to philanthropy. Uh, I'll let her explain it a little bit better and go into it, but we are truly, truly lucky to have her tonight. She is a force. She does have the best jewelry in the world. Do not touch it. If you meet her in person, that is her space, but she is always has the best. And she has a son named Teddy, who's very good at karate. And we love him very much. So Kia, I'm going to hand it over to you and let you take over. Thank you so much. I love that you incorporated Teddy. I can't wait until I go pick him up and tell him that he is a life of a party he wasn't invited to. Um, but I'm so glad to see your faces. The, the hardest part of this evening is going to be me condensing the conversation um, because this could take us days, months, years, a whole lifetime, but I'm excited to do this with you. Um, let me go ahead and get my screen shared and, um, and then jump right in. What I encourage you to do is um, use the chat function as much as you need to. I will keep an eye on it and, um, and ask questions as you need to. Let's have a conversation. You will see me, I hope you can see my little mouse right here. I produced this event, um, I think it was two years ago on the Cumberland River. Um, I had a yoga instructor come out and um, take over and disrupt the middle of the space. That is very like who I am as being disruptive. We did not have a permit. I don't encourage you to do that, but it was a really amazing time. And for me, it was a really important time in increasing my practice of yoga. Um, and just from a storytelling perspective, I think about my mom when I was younger, she would go down to TSU's um, downtown campus and she would take yoga classes and I would sit in the little children's room. So it was really good to, it's been really good to reconnect with a practice of yoga. Um, I'm a solutionist. I work really hard to help guide you through a process. And tonight your process is thinking about body politics and in particular, um, how that shows up in your work um, in the process that you're going through, I imagine, to get towards an anti-racist practice. Um, and again, that's going to be a uh, that's not going to be a destination. That's going to be um, a, a process that you're going through for the rest of your existence. Um, so I invite you to um, to think about it that way. Again, another really great picture. I had a girlfriend who said, please put my picture in the presentation. So here we are. My girlfriends were having a good time at a, this was a, um, a, a yoga a convention or conference, if you will. And we were able to be there with all different um, individuals, different bodies, different body types, really um, a really great restorative um, uh, practice for all of us who were in existence. Um, in the space. So here are the agreements I want to make. Before I get started, I always make these agreements so that we can make sure that we are really um, centering uh, the right things with each other. So I'm going to be centering Black and Brown individuals, larger bodies, differently abled bodies. Whether I say that or not, whether I bring it up or not, whether I, I want to make sure that I'm really clear that that's what I'm centering. There will not be any quick fixes. You all have been through three months of sessions, but again, you will do a lifetime of work. 
This is a safe space. One of my yoga instructors one time, she said, are you, I want you to consider, are you unsafe or are you uncomfortable? 10 times out of 10, you're likely very uncomfortable and you might not be unsafe. Now, granted, I want to make room and space for the fact that you might actually be unsafe. If that happens, then let one of us know and we're happy to support you. But you're in your home and you should just start to feel those triggers. When you feel them, I always encourage people to have a, um, a notebook or something uh, with them or you know, however you take notes and really begin to write down what is triggering you specifically. I heard a few of you mention that, that something was pulled up. That's all. That's okay. You won't necessarily be able to debrief that in this session because you got to go home. You got to, you got to go, you know, to your bedroom or to another space to really think about where it comes from. So I would encourage you to write down what, um, what kind of uncentered you in this, um, remain open-minded. All questions are worth asking. I'm not the only expert in the room. All of us are experts at lived experience and our experience. And so I want you to take advantage of the collective wisdom we have. Um, we can and will pivot. This is your session. I have some things, uh, laid out here that we will get through, but in the event that we're not able to get through them, or we need to go some other direction, happy to do that as well. And then the last piece is I want you to accept and expect non-closure. When you leave, it's not going to necessarily be in a pretty bow. You're not going to necessarily have um, some ending that makes you say, oh, that was perfectly packaged for me. Um, if you feel uh, super uncomfortable when we leave, that's okay. If you see, if you feel very validated in the conversation, that's okay. If you still have lots of questions, that's okay. So I want you to know that there is no wrong way to leave this, but you will likely have some type of non-closure. If we're all in agreement, I would love either thumbs up, the reaction button, or a shake of the head so I can make sure that we're ready to move forward and that we have not. Great. Awesome. Love that. So, um, you know, here is, you know, the vanity of who Kia is. You're going to see my face through this session because I just thought this was, you know, me working to get this practice better, right? I'm trying to get that leg up a little higher and I thought you need to see it. So here's a sprinkling of history. I say a sprinkling because um, I believe it was Kat. If I say your name wrong, please forgive me. If I mention any names wrong, please forgive me. But I like to try to remember um, you were mentioning history. History is so important to me in this process. Process. We won't get through everything. That's why it's just a little sprinkling like salt bay, right? So we're going to give you just a little bit. Um, so I want you to think about this. I have a book. I have lots of books. I have a house full of books, but I have a book called The History of White People um, by Nell Irvin Painter. It's a Black woman. She's a professor, uh, professor at Princeton. And she um, really outlines and goes through the historical uh, perspective about um, whiteness and how, we, how we've gotten here as a society. And one of the people that she highlights in the book is this gentleman, jo Johann Winkelmann. In the 1700s, he was described as the father of uh, art history. And he pronounces Chinese eyes as an offense against beauty. He then also goes into the white skin makes bodily appearance more beautiful. Now, what you just heard was that we can go back, we can go back really since the beginning of time to start to see where there are um, the over-sexualization of certain bodies, the um, over-enticement uh, of certain bodies, the manipulation of certain bodies. We can go for back forever. But I give this highlight to you really so that you can be Again, to think about this is the way that in this particular this particular um, chapter is called the white beauty of ideal um, as of ideal as science. So what you'll what you'll hear in this in, in this particular seat read in this particular chapter is how we start to go from someone's opinion 
someone's just thought, um, someone's made up opinion, and how we then put that and prescribe that into our science, into our medical field, and then, of course, into our wellness industry. I want you to begin thinking about that embeddedness of, um, of all of this. Liz already mentioned this, the fearing of the Black body, the racial origins of fat phobia by um, Sabrina Strings. This particular um, write up I thought was really helpful. It's just one sentence, but I thought it was a really important nugget for us to think about. Fearing the Black body argues convincingly that fat phobia isn't about health at all, but rather a means of using the body to validate race, cl class, and gender prejudice. You will see that if you do enough research, you will start to see that things are things will pop up and, and populate in the conversation that don't have anything to do with uh, anything relative to going to the doctor or the doctor saying that, that there's something wrong. It really comes down to, again, someone's opinion that we're going to um, elevate this, this version of white supremacy, elevate white individuals or those who operate within the confines of white supremacy. So this is what you were talking about. Um, hold on, let me get back to my note. Um, no, I had you. I thought I had you written down. This is what you were talking about as a Black woman, being socially acceptable in the space of... Um, uh, in the space that uh, people accept you and they think that you're you're the that you speak well and you present well and you do well, but uh oh, sorry guys. Sometimes I get it. Sometimes I go a little bit faster than uh, I'm supposed to. Okay. Um, I also want you to think about this. Go to Google, and and this is actually just from Google. It's just the image search of the lost black art of the Renaissance. So what you're going to see is in the um, between the 1400s and the 1600s, you're going to see black women interjected into art, seen in in many instances. Though as a silent figure, you're going to see them in instances where they are in power in some way. And then over time, you'll begin to see the whitewashing of them. And I'll give you an example of that in just a moment. But this gives you an idea that um, white, uh, black individuals were not always seen in servitude positions, though they may have been, they were also seen uh, in some instances as empowered and in, in power, um, depending on where they were uh, in the world. So this particular picture is called the Four Rivers, and so this woman in the middle represents this black woman in the middle represents the Nile, and um, and I'll give you a, a highlighted piece here, and she, you can see the power uh, of who she is, right? And so the the author, or the, excuse me, the artist uh, Peter Paul Robbins uh, credited her with it was he was credited rather with making big beautiful, and making black beautiful. Um, and so he does that in this piece. But what happens is, and, and, and what you see is, you're not seeing, you see nudity, right? You see that she's not necessarily, um, she's not covered. Matter of fact, no one is covered. Everybody has, you know, big kind of bodies and, and uh, rippling bodies. And even the little babies down here at the bottom um, are all in nudity. But you don't see her being over-sexualized. What will happen and what is outlined in The Fearing of Black Body bodies is that you're going to start to see the over-sexualization. Now, what I imagine happens, um, because this, this speaks to what Kat was talking about, is that we're going to, we've had constant cyclical times where that's, that's been the answer. The way we resolve that in our brains is that life is cyclical. I want you to think about what's happening this year, not necessarily COVID, but I want you to think about what's happening this year and think about 10 years ago or seven years ago or kind of whatever, wherever you were in your uh, numbered life. 
this has happened before. You've been in seasons of discomfort. You've been in seasons of uncertainty. You've been in seasons. The same thing happens with art. The same thing happens with culture. And the same thing happens with the sexualization, in particular, of Black bodies. So as you, uh, as we move forward, what you'll start to see is um, the whitewashing of those bodies. In particular, if you look up the Queen of Sheba, so a biblical biblical figure. Um, if you go Google the Queen of Sheba now, you're going to likely see a white woman, but um, she was from Ethiopia, I believe. Well, we know the closer you are to the sun, no matter what you want to think, you're going to be a darker body person, right? Because that's just how the equator works. Um, and, and I've been to uh, those parts of the country, they are going to be darker, pe darker people. But as time goes on, we begin to tell the story over and over again, and we begin to diminish the role of who she was. She actually was standing up to um, the king, and she was ex exhorting that she was Black and beautiful. And then it went to from Black and beautiful to Black but beautiful. And then it started to go, and then so they diminished the um, context of who she is. So if you go look and do a Google search, it would be pretty simple for you to find that. Um, so this woman did, um, her name is um, Michelle uh, Sturgis, and she did a review on um, the Fearing of Black Body book. And I thought it was really interesting because let me just tell you what I what I do, I always say I kind of, my work kind of intersects my spiritual practice and my business practice sometimes intersect because I was researching and I'm, I'm thinking about how I want to present this information to you. And I happen to just go to Sabrina Strings website and she happens to have a yoga practice. She actually is a yoga practitioner. Had no clue because I'm just looking at her from an academician and someone who is talking about um, the fear of Black bodies from a historical perspective. And she then is talking about yoga. And then this woman, Michelle Sturgis, who wrote a review about her, and you can read it, but I'll highlight this. She said, the race is my experience in the yoga studio it has little to do with um, what I actually do, the size of my yoga pants or the particular curves of my body. Instead, it has everything to do with the insidious racism that is rooted in the landscape of imperial, colonial, anti-Black, patriarchal, Christian history that governs our present day relations, right? I'm gonna let you unpack um, most of each one of those sentences, each one of those portions of that sentence. But the point that I'm that, that she's making here is not necessarily that people are only on the only issue which I want to acknowledge is that there is an issue with size in uh, the yoga and wellness industry. There is an issue with the color of your skin in this industry, but that might not even be your issue. The issue might just be that you are, that there's a dismissal of the origins of what yoga really is as a practice. There's a dismissal of what um, uh, people need when they come into a yoga space. And I, I think I heard Lauren mentioning that earlier. Um, there's a dismissal and an erasure of uh, what's important. And that's been over and over and over again. And as we've done that, uh, so many times, then we end up in a position where people who are well-established, well-esteemed, who would be presumably able to fit well in the white supremacist box, even if they're a Black individual or another person of color, that they're not even able to be comfortable in some of these spaces, again, just because of the, the, the system, the structure that all of this lives on top of. Um, we don't have a lot of time to do this, but I want you to just look this up. Go to CBS News, and I want you to pull up this particular, it's about a 24-minute, um, I'm going to say docu, uh, uh, documentary, The Racial Origins of Fat Stigma. It's a really good piece on helping to um, dismantle some of the beliefs that we may have relative to what um, wellness and its association with um, size 
and um, healthy as in its association with, you've only got to be a certain look, feel, um, or, or, or shape to be considered healthy. And so there's some folks in there who are on both sides of that conversation. So I encourage you to go and look that up. So here's the harm um, of white yoga. I, I said all that to say um, the history piece was important. I'm going to continue with history because I just think it's important. But I want to push forward to talking about how we got to really what yoga, the practice of yoga has been, which is um, black and brown individuals having to reclaim a space in being in a, in a yoga practice when quite honestly, it was the practice, their, their original practice to begin with that was co-opted um, and, and taken from them and colonized. Um, and so the, here's the harm of that. So this gentleman here, uh, and again, I may not necessarily pronounce his name totally correctly, but Swami Vivekananda, um, he wrote a book in 1896 that really began to um, do what sometimes happens in our community where, you know, you, you're, you're sitting around and you tell a, a joke about a Black person and let's say a Black person laughs. And so you don't think there's anything wrong with it. What he did was really begin to denounce um, the, the, the origins, the real um, the realities, the, the really unsexy parts of what yoga was. Um, and so they called him the master marketer of yoga. And so he was the one who brought um, yoga to, as, as I found in my research, he was the one who, who brought, or one of the people who brought yoga over here um, into the Americas several times and began to share it with other people. And I believe, um, I thought I had a picture of the book, but I don't think so. But, and then I pushed forward because there are lots of people involved, but I just want to give you some highlights. Um, this woman here um, who has changed her name. So that's another uh, that's another practice that happens in um, in not necessarily uh, white yoga, but happens in white supremacy. Of I'm now going to also just co-opt the space of I'm going to rename myself. I'm going to be um, a part of the community in a in a bigger, deeper way. But one of her clients that she uh, worked with was Marilyn Monroe, and and many other people. Again, you're going to start to see the uh, if you if you Google. Um, uh, Hindu and yoga, you're, my hope is that you're going to see a really good um, origination story. Uh, the Smithsonian did a, a um, presentation, I think in 2013, or a, um, uh, had an exhibit a few years ago. And so you begin to see what that looked like versus now what you start to see is, as I was reading the manual, you start to see the Jane Fonda effect. That's what we'll call this, even though she was uh, much before a Jane Fonda. So, you know, one of those things I mentioned, the erasure of the origins and the historical harm done by white British colonizers. My question to you, and this is really, I'd love for you to put in the chat. I'd love for you to think about it. I'd love for you to write this in your notebook. What do you know about the history of yoga? What do you really understand about um, uh, Hinduism and other uh, Dharma cultures that practice uh, yoga? Do you know, and I would love, I mean, you can raise your hand. You can say, you know, I know a lot or I know a little. Um, maybe let me ask and you can just, yeah, maybe I can just yes or no it. Um, how many of y'all have researched the origins uh, of yoga? And I mean, beyond a Google search, right? Like one Google search or one article. Anybody? Yes. Okay. I see a thumb up. I see, I see hands up. Okay, good. Um, kind of, that's okay. Maybe it's okay. Kind of, it's okay. A little bit is okay, right? Um, we got to get started someplace. But the reason why this is important is because you don't know what you don't know. So a lot of times what people say to me is, well, I just 
didn't know. I mean, I was just naive to it. And now I know I'm going to do better, but I just didn't know. That's fine, except for um, what do we call that? Willful, willful ignorance. We, we are comfortable sitting in a place where we're um, operating um, in somebody else's culture without understanding the core of why that's why that culture is important. One of the notes I took that really was standing out to me and I, and I was as I was listening to you all was um, sometimes we treat yoga as if it is a sweaty practice that happens to have a spiritual component, but it's actually a spiritual practice that might have some sweat to it. When I was reading about individuals who themselves practice, practice Hinduism um, or who are from India and they felt like this was native to them and they also felt ousted in their own uh, yoga practices, what they would say is when I practice this at home, I wasn't sweating and I wasn't um, pushing further. Or I wasn't stretching harder. I was in my, um, my, my spiritual practice practice. I was connecting with um, the higher consciousness of who I am. So I'm not saying you have to um, go 100% that way. What I am saying is you got to know that it exists so that you're not um, unmindful of it when you are practicing. And in particular, as you're taking other people through the practice, so you're not harming not just yourself, but other people. Another one, another harm is benefiting from the culture without celebrating the actual people. So here's a quote from a woman who um, wrote a, an article decolonizing yoga for people of color and the trope of the white yoga teacher. They take our cultures, our practices, our traditions and use them as costumes, they profit from it. And then when it's convenient, they can discard the whole image when wrapped together um, with, um, I don't know what that is, or other whitewashed spirituality, it becomes infinitely more oppressed. And, and it was important for uh, me to share that because this happens almost all the time. So again, you you take um, the fact that there are all types of brown bodies who um, who uh, practice yoga, and then you say, no, you don't get access to it. We're going to do what we need to do with it. We're going to um, you know have have our stomachs out, and we're going to have on the cute shirts. We're going to have the Namaste um, Stay shirts, or we're going to have the fun mugs, or we're going to do some of those things. We're going to use some of the terms, but we're not going to um, give access to those individuals who are part of the community, or we're not going to honor them. I'll give you an example of what honoring can look like, right? When I walk outside or when I go to the Greenway and when I'm just out there, sometimes I have to be so mindful that I'm appreciative and grateful for the Black and Indigenous people whose blood I actually can stand on because the soil that I'm walking on is something that they died uh, right up under. It's just an honoring of the fact that I don't necessarily know everything that happened, but I know that what I'm walking on is, is sacred ground. I know where I am doesn't just belong to me. I know that I can't just, um, you know, I see so many folks out there, right? Your dog is used to using the bathroom, wherever. We've got to honor the, the cultures and traditions. Um, and so this is what I see. And I've seen this in my own practice within yoga, right? It's we use all of the terms. Um, we sometimes mispronounce the words. Um, we use language, excuse me, we use music that is traditionally from these communities, but then we don't then uh, educate people or educate ourselves about the practice itself. Another one, another uh, harm is centering white individuals in slimmer bodies uh, really quickly. I did a quick search. I did two searches. Actually, I did several searches, but I did two. Um, this one was of yoga, just yoga by itself. And you see here, um, it, it looks uh, 
pretty specific to one type of person. Now, yes, there's a picture of uh, Jessamine. She's done a great job of um, really getting out there and making sure people know that other bodies exist in this space, but it's very particular type of look. It's a very particular, there's, there is no, um, I don't see anybody in a chair that's able to show a differently bodied person. I don't see anyone who has um, blocks uh, who, who's able to support themselves, right? So we have um, really done, and, and, and even to the point, you are going to see some black or brown bodies, but it's not necessarily, it's going to be socially acceptable bodies. The other thing I want to point out about um, larger bodies is that traditionally, what I have seen in the wellness industry in general is that a socially acceptable body might be a size 12 or 14, right? But, but when we start talking about a size 22, a size 26, someone who also still wants to be healthy, still wants to come into a practice, still wants to be able to um, support themselves through a yoga, through a yoga experience, we don't have any visuals any place. Why? Because it is not attractive for us to have them to be a part of our visual. Um, the other search I did was of um, uh, yoga magazines. Again, the visual of what I can see looks pretty specific. Um, I do see a couple of different ages, um, you know, mostly one age though. I do see a couple of what, I, what you might consider older people. I do see pretty advanced practitioners. Um, yoga in lay terms or out, you know, kind of out in the world who, who are not a part of a yoga studio, yoga is um, for advanced people. You should do your beginner practice at home, right? That is the uh, stigma, I would say that's the myth, I hope that's what you believe, of, uh, of a yoga practice. It doesn't have to just happen in your home or in your home or behind closed doors. Or um, I've had friends who've said, you know what, I'm just going to do, I'm just going to do it at home. I'm just going to do it over here in this corner. They don't have a good process for it because I feel embarrassed going into a place. Everybody's so small. Um, no one welcomes me. And I've heard that even from instructors. I mean, some of you have mentioned it on the call. Um, one of the um, articles I pulled up, the woman was talking about when she walked in uh, or, or she was in the class setting up and someone said, okay, are you here to teach the class or are you taking the class? Um, you know, are you the teacher? Question mark, right? You know what that feels like when somebody comes in and second guesses you. Um, uh, I, I'll tell you what second guessing feels like. This is not a yoga specific, but I had someone second guess me about my own name. Um, are you sure that's your name? Yes, that's my name. That is the harm of thinking that there's a superior uh, person and I'm not it, right? That's the harm there. So I want to give you that example. Um, I wanted to go back here and say, okay, so white yoga praises white people for doing yoga while indigenous Hindus are actively punished for practicing yoga. Still, I actually was looking up um, uh, some articles. There are still people there. There, I saw a murder that had happened in, in, in a, a part of India at a yoga studio, because this is still something that is not openly available in some areas for them to practice. Um, it's really important to think about that. It's also important, uh, the question came up about what's different uh, in a black and indigenous or person of color's experience. And one of those things is that this last sentence kind of gives it, uh, or talks about it, which is that Hindu people are frequently demonized for practicing yoga, seen as dark, evil, savage, demon worshipers. In the black community, this sometimes also can be an experience where um, we're very spiritual people, um, sometimes religious people, and we're trying to figure out, is this, a, uh, is this something that still aligns with my faith? 
And so you've got to keep that in mind as well, that there are sometimes relationships you can have with faith institutions so that you can bridge the gap between you're, you know, you're accepted to be here if we bridge that gap a little bit better. And so I encourage you to think about that. So yoga can be a tool for your practice. So, you know, one of the things that um, I hear, you know, I've heard a lot in my uh, experience or in my um, practices, you know, we're all, we're one together. We're all in this together, right? I can see your light. Um, Let's deepen our practice together, right? It's, I mean, you you all do that so much better than I do, right? You have really good kind of um, studio speak, right? You'd say these things. But then I wonder if we really believe those things to be true, then we, then we have to acknowledge that our yoga practice as a collective or even as an individual practice is built out of white supremacy. It is built out of... Um, in particular, if we haven't done the work to decolonize it, which is what you all are doing, it is built out of um, a place where we are not necessarily seeing each other. Do you really see the light that, that goes out when a person um, who's of color comes into your location and is broken? Because just Friday, again, another person was murdered, right? Another Black man was murdered um, by the police. Do you see um, the depth of the practice when you're saying go further, go harder. If you can go harder, get, get going, keep going, keep going and release, right? When you're doing that, do you see that that practice of deepening is also a person is breaking down right where you are? Um, do you really believe that we're one? Because are you willing to um, be in harm's way along with the person who walks in with you? Uh, are you willing to be in pain with them? Are you willing to lockstep with them? See, white supremacy allows us to be confused. It allows us to be doubtful. It allows us to push one thing and push another and create contradiction. It allows us to say, and I, I saw this uh, quite a bit in, um, in the pulling of some, some data I was looking for, that um, there are yoga studios across the country who are saying that COVID-19 doesn't exist. Well, what we know is that an overwhelming amount of black and brown people are dying relative to COVID-19. So if we don't believe that, then do you not believe that those people are dying because of a, a, a pandemic level virus, right? Do we really see each other? Um, yoga itself stands for what unity, right? In Sanskrit, that's how it's defined. And so, this quote really uh, stood out to me. Collective consciousness is the heart of yoga. Collective consciousness is the heart of yoga. So if collective consciousness is the heart of yoga, a healthy yoga practice is an anti-racism practice. It's a commitment to constantly um, elevating, constantly evaluating um, the collective consciousness by centering and celebrating Black, Indigenous, other people of color and calling out behavior systems and structures that are harmful because that's what collective consciousness can do, right? It gives us an opportunity to rise higher. It gives us a place to go, go greater together though. Like it's not just consciousness is the heart, it's collective consciousness. When you're in a room together, the beautiful part about yoga, and this is what I have loved and I, I particularly enjoy hot yoga. Um, what I love is that I feel like I'm in the room by myself and with other people at the same time, it's like a really weird thing, right? Meaning I'm only focused on the person in the mirror, which is me. 
But I also know that there are other people in the room having this collective higher consciousness as well. So even when I take a moment to breathe and someone else is going deeper and further and push, I don't feel the judgment, right? But that's because I'm also willing to, um, I'm also willing to go to a place that only feels like that for me. I'm not willing to keep showing up. There are people who keep showing up sometimes, uh, which what we call for the culture. Right. They keep showing up so they can show that as black individuals, as larger bodies and body individuals, I, my body is larger. I would not necessarily be a person who was sent in front of the class traditionally based on uh, yoga standards. If I go Googling, if I say is yoga for me, I'm not going to see a body that looks like mine. But when I go, that's what I'm looking for. I say that to say a healthy practice is one where we can see a collective group of people, which means that if I look at the census, I mean, we can just look at it. I can look at all different types of people. If I go down my social media time, I see all different types of people. That's what collective means, right? All types of people. <laughs> um, and consciousness is the raising and the hiring of that. It's the real heart of yoga. If we are to believe that, then we are to say, all people are welcome in this experience with us. All people are important to us. And not just important, let me say this, when a tragedy happens on a massive scale, like what happened, what we saw happen on the latter part of the spring of 2020, it shouldn't have to be that we see active murders of black bodies. It shouldn't have to be that we see um, active killings of trans black trans individuals. It shouldn't have to be that we see um, uh, the cat calling of uh, larger women with larger behinds. It shouldn't have to be that that happens before we make statements or before we get raise our consciousness. But if that's what it takes, and I, I I'm I'm okay with that if we're willing to say from here on we're going to have a, a a very different practice so how do we i want to take a moment here i want to ask you all uh, i'm going to unshare or stop share here um how do we raise that collective consciousness i'd love to hear from anybody and as liz said i'm open to being as silent as possible um, and holding space for you or to engaging with you whatever your pleasure Yeah, Liv. Um, so I live in a larger body. And one of the things that I try to communicate before my class, and you actually just spoke to it, is I just share that this is an individual practice, practiced in community. Yeah. And so I invite people to really just show up as they are. And I don't know what's happening in their body. And this, this is basically what I say at the beginning of almost all my classes. I don't know what's happening in your body today. I'm here to support you and here to be a stand for you. And like what I say is just a suggestion. So I think by doing that, I create a space where people feel like they can show up as themselves and they're supported by the community that they're in. So mm -hmm. that's one step that I've tried to take. Cause that's, I think about when I first started yoga, I always hid in the back cause I was so embarrassed to be seen. And now I want people to know that being seen is so important and being seen in this community is valuable and important. And I want to see every single person in that room. Mm -hmm. And you know what being seen can also look like is not um, shunning or shaming a person who has to step away or step out of the class, right? I've had experiences where that has happened where someone says, you know, and no one should leave. You know, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm about to literally, I think, I, you know, my body hasn't had this level of shock before. I think I'm going to pass out. Um, that level of shaming, right? It makes it where I'm like, oh my gosh, one, I'm being called out. 
But two, this isn't for a beginner. This is not for someone, as you just mentioned. So I love that that's a part of your incorporation in, in, in the session. Anybody else? How do we raise that collective consciousness? Yeah, I'd like to speak on that. Yeah, actually. Flip side, because I usually attract a different type of white woman in my class. I create space for the bigger bodied white woman. I create space for the white woman who is not Lululemon thin, you know? So I'm very conscious about even how I start my class. I'm five nine, I'm super thin and toned. It's just how I'm born. So I'm very aware and I make it very clear that I've been practicing yoga for a very long time. So it is important to understand that you will not look like me in these poses because I have been practicing this for a while, but my job is to make you feel comfortable in your body. Another thing that I do, because I'm very thin and my body looks the way it does, I have a group of women who, you know, they range in size. I'm very conscious of what I wear to class. I don't wear tight things. Liz will tell you I'm the queen of joggers because I think it's important for them to feel comfortable and showing up in sweatpants if they want to. They should feel comfortable and showing up in a t-shirt and they don't have to feel like they have to look like what I look like when I show up. You know, if I know I'm about to be with a whole bunch of yogis who do this all the time, I may change the way I show up in this environment. But these are things that I'm conscious of as a black yoga instructor on the flip side of it. So I wanted to share that. No, I really appreciate that. I mean, part of, so how this fits into diversity and inclusion, which I think is the, was kind of one of the initial prompting questions is that when you have um, diverse and representative people, not tokens, but people who really um, are, are, haven't been invited there, who want to be there, who feel welcome to be there, their consciousness is naturally going to be a little bit higher um, if they're in that, that space of uh, understanding uh, their, their position, their privilege, who they are. Um, so having a person who has uh, a larger body, having someone who is uh, has a, um, a different ethnic makeup, having someone, if you are in an all woman practicing, you have a man, you're an all man practicing, you have a woman, you're uh, all straight practicing, you have LGBTQ plus person, uh, part of the community, then those individuals usually are able to raise their consciousness a little bit more. But I will tell you in particular, people of color, because we're constantly having to uh, be mindful of our positioning, our spacing, how we operate and how we do things, we're almost always going to be thinking about someone else. Not always, but almost always going to be thinking about how does this present for other people? Anybody else want to share? And I'll get back to the last few minutes of this. Yes, Emily, please. Yes. Um, something that I do is in my practice, the way I show up on my mat, um, I just try to show up from an authentic place. So this year, or not this year, towards the end of last year, it was like a really hard emotional year. And there was a practice where like I practiced for 20 minutes and then I laid on my back and soup Tabata for 40 minutes. And one of the students that always comes to my class just was like, thank you for doing that because it invites like safety by just like showing up for your own body and, and trying to be that example. And just, you know, like if you show up and you lay on your back for 40 minutes, you showed up and you, br you breathe in community in a hot room, like that's enough. Um, so I always try to preface that because something I've learned is like, you really don't know what people are walking in the room with and just try to have as much 
compassion, like as if they were your very best friend um, and just try to see them. Yeah, so many, thank you for that contribution. So many of you are trauma counselors and don't even realize it, right? You're spiritual leaders and don't even realize it. This is why it's important to really understand how to raise that collective consciousness. What I would say is this, because I can't, um, I don't know, you know all of your practices and I don't wanna give you a, a hard and fast solution, though I have some thoughts and I'll give those in a moment. The question might just be, how do I raise my consciousness when I walk in this space? How do I raise someone else's consciousness when I'm walking in this space? How do I meet their consciousness when I walk in their space, right? Give yourself a guiding question. That's the point I'm making here. Give yourself a question when you walk in that you're able to then share with someone else, explore with them and not make it about how do I raise them to where I am, but how do I raise our, our community? How do I do that in a, in a way that feels welcoming and safe? Safety is such a huge part of, I think your practice, whether you know it or not, is such a huge part of that because we think of safety as, is someone gonna come in and hit me in the head? That, that uh, psychological safety is so critical to a person in particular now, right? We're in collective trauma. So when you when people bring them, their, them, themselves to your studio or even through a virtual experience, let me tell you, they are bringing themselves as vulnerable as they are, whether they want to be or not. In a hot room, you have no choice sometimes uh, but, to, uh, but to bring that because by the time you're done, you're crying. But anyway, uh, let me get back to uh, sharing. If there are other thoughts, please, put them in here about how you want to continue to raise that, um, that collective uh, conscious. Yeah, we got a couple comments. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, um, let's spot those out because I want to make sure I'm being mindful. Liv and Mern talked about offering, or Liv talked about offering modifications mm -hmm. or options can create a safe space. And Jessica said you got that right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think calling out the modifications. So in the, in the um, practices that I've been in, um, it has been that um, the first move is the modification. And then those in the room who want to go further, then they're able to go further. Um, you know, I know that Liz and Ashley will correct me if that's not necessarily the appropriate way, but that has been really helpful because I can stay right there and still feel like I'm meeting the objective that I have walking through the room. You got to keep in mind, and I think um, Liv, you really brought this out. A person walks in kind of with their own individual thing happening. And so you're trying to answer that question. You don't even know what the, um, you're answering something you don't know the question to, right? And so just starting them there in that, in that space of saying, here's the modification is really, really helpful. So I, I appreciate you bringing that to uh, the conversation. I want to um, add to that too, that the language that you use around modifications is important too. Like if you're saying, if you want to do a lesser version or a less hard version, mm. that is automatically putting a hierarchy on the modification. So saying here is another option rather than adding a morality to the modification language. So, so. I like that. I, I like, I also like things around, may I offer you or, um, and I, and, and again, the practitioners I've been around have said, you know, I, I want to come around and offer you some additional guidance. If you don't want that, do whatever, right. That may be hold a hand up, put a towel over, what have you, um, offering someone now, I feel like I am in control and I have an, a choice in this process. In particular, if you have someone who has been told I'm supposed to squeeze my body size, whatever it may be, in onto this mat, into this space, I'm supposed to not feel or appear large. I'm trying to do this. So if I've been told to diminish who I am, then certainly I'm trying to do the. And when you offer me space, 
to, to do a modification. Now I'm like, oh, okay, we're in community with each other. Now we've, we're creating relationship with each other. And the, the, the piece that never gets measured is trust. Trust is a metric that almost never gets measured because it's not something that you can necessarily put a number to. Um, so let me go through the last few things here. Um, changing your lens. So this is this is really how we begin to um, raise our collective consciousness is changing that lens and widening your, widening your inventory of information. What does that mean? It means a lot of things. One, it means, you know, what is your platform? What do your platforms look like? You know, who are you following? Who are you talking to? Who are you communicating with? Um, sometimes we, um, I found I, I, people will retweet the same things over and over, the same types of people over and over. And I say, okay, but do you have anybody else that you're following? Do you know anybody else? Are you listening to other voices? Because ex lived experience is expertise. If someone tells you that I feel uncomfortable coming into your studio because of X, believe them, right? Or I feel uncomfortable, not necessarily even your studio, but I feel uncomfortable generally um, in uh, uh, yoga pants believe them, honor the space that they're in. So widening that inventory. Um, the, the first place we start is, um, is researching that history, researching and acknowledging the history. When you get a chance to do that, when you um, understand and, and you make room in your practice. Now, I, don't, I, I can't tell you what to do at the beginning of every session, but what I can say is when you make um, a decision in particular in uh, some of the sessions that you're gonna specifically create, because I know that's what you're gonna do, to create a more inclusive environment, then being able to acknowledge that um, this practice is deeply spiritual, deeply personal. Some of the things that Liv was actually just mentioning, I think is really, really good language. Um, when you do that and you acknowledge the history, then you give space and room for people to see themselves in it. I would say you can see what you can be. So if I can see um, uh, someone with a larger body who's leading a class, I know that I can be that. I know that it may not even be my goal, but my goodness, I may be able to be there. If I can see a black woman at the front of the class, oh, I can do that as well. If I can see someone a part of the LGBTQ plus community, okay, that's really important to me. So changing your lens and widening that inventory, honor the space and honor the people. Um, one of the articles that I was um, that I pulled up and I was reading, they wrote, I think it was around, um, it was around white harm and in yoga. And it what it said was, this is written with the guidance of the East Asian uh, community and I can't, yoga community. And I can't remember in the particular language, but I really appreciated that acknowledgement of the people who were in, who, who um, uh, were the experts. So the person who wrote it, got all their guidance, and I hope they paid for it, right? But they got their guidance from um, uh, someone who was from the community so they could not just speak towards their own privilege, their own um, white supremacist ideology, their own undergird of racism, but really from someone else's perspective, which was really helpful. Um, and, and so I pulled together, because this is just, I think, helpful. Um, and, I, and I will have um, uh, Liz and Ashley send this over to you, but I just found some people who were bigger bodied and brown and black who I was like, just be following these folks. So I hope that you follow them on Instagram. Um, and they all have different practices. They all show their practice. They all have different ways in which they do it. But I thought this is how we learn um, because no one, if, we, if, if, if part of raising our consciousness, just our individual consciousness is I'm, I'm not an expert. Like if I'm okay with just that being my um, understanding that helps me to not always show up as I have the answer. It allows me to show up and be able to receive other conversations. So these are just folks who um, that I follow, um, some of them that I follow for a while, and some of them are new people that I found just through this conversation. 
I also found this, I think there are lots of language pieces out there, but what I liked about this particular um, anti-racism, I think it was called an anti-racism work, not just statement, was they actually had some one, two, three of this is what I'm going to do, this particular yoga studio. So I like that they called out the historic piece. Primary demographic of yoga students and teachers are white women and doesn't represent who we are as a community. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna create scholarships for teacher training for those individuals who are interested in doing it, right? It calls it out, but it also then gives a solution for it. And I really appreciate that because it's not just a statement of saying, we stand with you and we're really sorry that this is happening. It's actually giving you some, we're gonna do this. And then what happens is if you don't do this thing, people will call you out for it. But the goal is that you're gonna do this thing. Right, um, understanding that this is a lifelong uh, commitment and price practice. Understanding that um, here are some of the steps that we're going to take. That is just it was just really important for me to read that. And there are a few of them. And again, I have some links if you all are looking for some language that I thought was really helpful to saying not just I'm going to make a statement um, because a statement is 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 the start of diversity. Right, it's where you say I'm going to acknowledge that people are different. But um, uh, real action is where you say, this is now inclusive. This is now a part of how we are safe and welcoming and let people show up as their 100% authentic self. And that means that we're gonna have someone who comes in who may speak differently than what we've heard before. We're gonna have someone come in who is going to, um, their practice might look differently than ours. We're gonna have someone who comes in who um, has a different experience than us. And so we're gonna be welcoming to that. That's how you create an, an inclusive environment. And I know that in your last session, you went over some of those things. So before we go, what else must you know? And or what have you learned um, in this conversation? I always feel like it's never enough time. So uh, in advance, I'm sad about that. But um, what did you learn or what else do you want to know? Yeah. Uh, I wanted to share really quickly one thing that <clears throat> I think is really important is a language. And we didn't talk about this, but languaging behind like vines. Um, I think that's something that can be difficult for some folks physically in a larger body. They're not possible sometimes without some sort of support. Um, and then just changing the language from vines to like a wrap or connection and then offering that opportunity for people if they have a larger body, like if you aren't able to make that connection, add a prop, um, use a strap, use a towel. And I think some of that's really important as far as like our languaging um, that we do, that some folks do, it's not me because I'm not in a small body, but in the smaller bodies when we're offering in classes, <clears throat> maybe something that isn't possible for someone in a bigger body is making sure that modification is offered as well. I think that's super important and that's not something we really talked about. So I just wanted to bring that up because that's something I'm really passionate about is in my class creating modifications or variations or options, but then also like being conscious of the language that I'm using to make sure it's not offensive or hurtful or yeah, harmful. Mm -hmm. No, I really appreciate you calling that out. Language is so, um, 
so important to this. And I don't know all the language, right? Because I'm still in my practice and I, I am a student of, of the practice, but I know that you can get guidance from Ashley and Liz. But what I will say about language is also, um, what I would say is saying the word and then what I would consider double clicking on the word. You know, if I don't know what it means um, to grab a strap, I'm just gonna give an example, right? being able to then give a descriptor of that. I have a six-year-old, you all heard about Teddy earlier. And one of the things when he was very young, my, my parents would say, do you talk, you always talk to him like that? Because I would talk to him the same way I spoke to you all this evening. And I said, absolutely. But what I do is I give the word and then I give the definition or I give some context clues so that he can begin to create a critical thinking, you know, structure in his brain, right? Children are very smart, they can do that. But we are too, right? Because we know how to, um, find out what you mean. But if I don't know, so if I've been in a session and you're spewing out all the words and, um, and of course, because the words already are um, come from a different uh, origin, I don't necessarily always know what does that mean when it ends with this or when is that. So when we give a little bit of a double clicking on, here's what I mean when I say this, or, um, or even in the beginning, if you say, hey, um, I offer you all um, that there are straps on the wall or that there are blocks over here or just that additional 10 seconds in your practice could be really helpful. So I really appreciate you bringing that to the um, forefront of the conversation. And anybody else who thinks who has other language specific things, please uh, call those out because I don't, I don't know it well enough, but I want to make sure that you all are thinking about that. Wow. I think Sorry, go ahead, Jasmine. Oh, no, you're fine, Ashley. Okay, I was just gonna say, um, everybody's made really good points and I've seen it. I've seen a lot of the teachers exercise this in their classes, um, everything that's been spoken of. And, and this is something that I've seen too, but I think that we can be more conscious of doing it's just like encouragement. Um, because I know for me, starting off practicing yoga, especially power yoga, uh, was really tough for me. And I would wobble, I would wiggle, I would fall out. But like hearing the teacher like empower me and and um, Maren, you talked about this in our last meeting, like recognizing the student by name and calling them out, but encouraging them. And like, um, Kia, when you mentioned, like when you walked out the bathroom and somebody says like, oh, don't leave the room. I remember one time I was in child's pose and I was kind of like beating myself up my head. I was like, oh, you know, I shouldn't take a break. You know, what, you know how we get in our head and our practice sometimes. And I don't remember the exact words, but the teacher was like, yes, if you, if you need a break, you know, um, I forget what she said, but she she gave some encouragement of like, take a rest when you need it. You know, if you're in child's pose, you know, just uh, reconnect with the earth. She said some things that I felt immediately relieved. And I think just like, uh, and I actually tried that in my class last week, a girl went in child's pose and I kind of celebrated that. I celebrate when people take breaks. I celebrate you know, I, when class is over, I go up and I talk to those people and I don't try to, it's weird with the black community because with everything going on with black lives matter, sometimes when people come up and like talk to you and go the extra mile, we have to sense if it's genuine or if it's like, are you just trying to be that white person that is being nice to a black person? So, and I know that can get tricky for y'all. I can only imagine, but as long as it's coming from a sincere place and it's coming, uh, with, with sincerity and it's genuine, but just like going up to that person, recognizing them, saying that they did a great job, um, asking them if they have questions about certain poses, um, and just, um, 
I mean, I don't know, kind of what you said, Ashley, was just saying like, hey, I've been doing this for a while, you know, but you did a great job today. And just reminding them like, whatever your practice looks like, is like what your practice is. So. No, yeah. I appreciate that. Um, one of the things that, that was um, resonating with me when you were saying this, which you weren't necessarily saying it, but, it, but I was feeling it, which is, um, I imagine you have lots of veterans because almost every studio, right, has the veteran folks who come in. Um, you know, how do you create a space where they then become that ambassador with you, where they become more welcoming, where they say, you know, they're the people at the front of the classroom all the time. And honestly, they're the ones we're watching when we can't see the instructor, when the instructor is helping someone else. And so how do you then encourage them, you know, as you all are um, raising your collective consciousness, as you're thinking about um, a differently body, a differently abled, um, larger bodies, black and brown individuals and in other communities, when you're thinking about that, how do you then incorporate some of that just into those veteran community um, and, and, and invite them to become more welcoming and more safe and more thoughtful. Because honestly, what happens is they come in, they do, because they know the stuff, right? They come in, they find their spot. You also know that they have certain spots. So you feel a little bit hesitant to go, go to your place or go to a place if you're new, because you know you're probably in somebody's way. But how do you then start to incorporate that into their um, relationship as well? So I really appreciate you bringing um, kind of that um, after class uh, conversation into the conversation we're having today. Anything else? Yes. Kia, so much great information. I'm Mern, by the way, and um, I have a lot of thoughts. And so now my heart's racing as well. Um, first of all, speaking to that, I think something I try to do is introduce people. Like if there's time before class or after, I think Noel, like uh, or Jasmine, <laughs> um, that we, I did that with, you know, just making those connections with veterans and new students. We have a lot of college students, like making sure, oh, you're a freshman at Vanderbilt. Did you know that, you know, she also goes to Vanderbilt, but she's a, a junior or senior, like making those connections with um, veterans um, of the studio with new students. And then I've just been thinking about like, how do we raise the collective consciousness? And I think, um, my first question to myself was that in order to raise a collective one, I have to raise my own. And I think through this training with Triluna, you guys have been amazing and it's gotten really uncomfortable and like seeing my own implicit biases and things that pop into my brain. Like I'm able now, um, they're still coming, but I'm able to catch them and be like, whoa. Um, and it's funny because one of the first slides you showed Kia had um, black indigenous people of color and also um, other abled bodies, I think is what it said. Differently abled. Mm -hmm. Differently abled. And um, my heart's racing so fast. Mm -hmm. Kelly was there. I had a guy come to my class that was an amputee and I'd never had an amputee in my class. And my first thought, because we were about to start, like it was time for class, he was hustling with his crutches up the steps of Shakti. And my first thought, like I saw it was, uh-oh. Like he was so hurried and disheveled, I made an assumption about him that he was bad news. Um, and then like, I was like, whoa, I just did that. And then I did, Kelly helped, like we helped get his stuff and take it in. But then when I got in the room, what I was thinking about is how important presence is and seeing, seeing, like really seeing who's in the room. 
because I realize how often I say left foot forward, just like it's like on, you know, warrior one, he doesn't have a left foot, you know? So just things like that, you know, like Liv speaking about different size bodies or just like suspending my own preferences to really look at who is in the room and taking a moment to evaluate the language that I'm using. And at one point it came out like, you know, I think I, the phrase I said was, thank you, left let or something like that. And he was like, nope, <laughs> you know, or whatever. And was able to laugh at himself. And um, I was just like, damn, like I'm just in, sometimes I'm in my own world and how I say things and just really thinking about how that could affect someone else. So I think just presence and really noticing my own, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that you um, put yourself out there and shared that. I mean, I'm sure maybe other people in the room knew that, but I think that's those collective stories is how you then evaluate and someone else says, oh, I did that too. Um, so you being to put yourself out there, I really appreciate that. I love that you said suspending preferences um, because isn't that actually kind of what the practice is about, right? Like, I mean, so it's funny because when I teach these sessions, I often tell people, we know how to do this. We know how to be inclusive because we do it in other areas of our life or we know how to acknowledge people who are different from us because we do it in other areas. But it's something about this one, right? When we're talking specifically about race or larger bodies, things that don't feel sexy, right? Things that feel that are in, by society standards are things that we just don't want to talk about we somehow figure out ways to skirt around it. But what you just did is really the, is really the spiritual practice of, uh, of yoga, right? Is saying, I'm gonna suspend my individual practice and I'm willing to, as the instructor, make sure that everyone else's practice is as strong and solid as supposed to be. Um, I really encourage you all to write down those personal, that kind of personal narrative statement for yourself around what your responsibility is every single time you walk into that room is to make sure that you uplift somebody else's practice, make sure that you hold them, their, their safety in a high regard over your own ego, right? That's, that's what we're talking about here. So I really appreciate you bringing that into the room. Um, I also would say, and I think this is a, a part of where, where I was uh, experiencing as you were talking about this as well, is acknowledge people how they want to be acknowledged. So a gentleman who comes in who is an amputee may want absolutely no assistance, right? Because he can modify himself. That doesn't mean that we're not acknowledging everyone in the room or that you're not suspending those preferences of saying left foot first, right foot. But what I'm, what I'm also saying is we don't then have to overwhelm that particular person again with our own preferences, which is like, I've got to over, I've got to overly uh, uh, do something to make them feel comfortable, which really is making ourselves feel comfortable. If I do all these activities, I feel better about that initial thought that I had, which was like, oh crap, they're gonna be trouble in the class. I've gotta do extra work for them and so forth. I also want to really um, stick with one point that you were also mentioning, which is um, we are you know, literally in um, one of the most traumatic times most of us will ever have. Many of us operate at a robotic level generally. And then this year has happened. And then we're also, we're continuing to be robots. What I would say is find a way, I was sharing this earlier with a, um, with the client, find something that, that makes you present. It might be tapping, like you tapping your finger into your, you know, what your one finger into your thumb and like just squeezing or pinching or knowing that you're there. It might be having a squeezy ball. It might be having um, something, but what keeps you present? For me, 
I do crystals because crystals remind me of my own energy. And so that's what keeps me present. But whatever your thing is that snaps you out of kind of the rote behavior that we're all used to doing will then help you to raise your individual consciousness and then raise the collective consciousness of the space that you're in. So I appreciate you bringing that. And I wanted to just kind of wanted to just kind of dig into that a little bit more. Liz, I know you had unmuted at one point, and so I, I want to pass it back over to you and, of course, answer any additional questions or comments or kind of hold space for that, but also want to be mindful of the time that you've allocated. Yeah, so we've got about three minutes left, and I want to leave a little bit of space for Ashley, but one of the things that Ashley and I really want to leave you with tonight is that, like, like Kia was saying, and like Olivia brought up with the bind, and, and Mern brought up with her client that was an amputee, wellness was created for, in its essential form right now, for thin white women. And so as we think about our language around wellness, that whole thing has to shift entirely on its head. So I think that uh, Mern's client that was an amputee is a good example of like, like that is something physically that you can see. You can see when you call left foot forward that he cannot bring his left foot forward. But these are these things are happening to people in larger bodies and in minority communities that we can't physically see. And so, like Kia said, bringing this constant awareness about wellness, like we talk all the time about, like you should be running, you should do yoga, you, movement is power. But like if you don't have access to movement, or if you don't have access to running, then that automatically others you in the wellness space, right? So like. This is just like a lens that you put on now and that you get up in the morning and you put your contacts in and you put on your, your new wellness lens and that's how you approach the world. And that's what we hope the work of these workshops are. And I wanna add to, like Kia spoke to me when she was really talking about how we as yoga instructors have allowed our egos to come into place here. I'm the first one to call a yoga teacher out for doing some advanced posts. You can go on my Instagram, you're not gonna find that because that's not what I want people to know. I want them to know that this is a space for them. And I think a lot of times as yoga instructors, like we've all been privileged with the fact that we've gotten these certifications, we've been doing this for so long, we do all these funky little poses that make us look a certain way. And we forget to create our practices for the people that we're trying to invite into this community. So when we talk about modifications, modifications should be what you do in the beginning. Mod modifications is what builds people up to where they are. And so let's not forget where we all came from and where we started and what got these egos to where they are. So I really appreciate you speaking on that because that is something that's near and dear to me. I'm very mindful of what I post. I'm very mindful of how I show up in classes because it's not about me. My personal practice, I can flow and go with the best of them. But what I put out there has nothing to do with me. It's more about the spiritual practice that I'm trying to pass on. So I just really, I thank you for saying that. We could talk all night, but yeah. I think appropriate for you guys to add in any last questions that you may have for Kia or Liz or myself or anything you wanted to circle back around to that we might have touched on in the beginning. I just want to say thank you so so much. I just appreciated this and like all the 
intersectional questions and the language now that we have around like access and it's just been really amazing so thank you so much to everybody and then to Kia also thank you so so much thank you Kia we appreciate you so much and I appreciate everyone on this call like I I know who's showing up even though I wasn't there I watched last week and so it means a lot that I can see some of the repeated faces on month after month and it means something to me as an individual as a black woman in this community. So I thank you, Jasmine, thank you for being here today. I'd love to get to know you and learn more about you and your practice and how we can grow together in this community. And Kia, you are a queen. You are a true queen. And again, if you're not following her, she's dropping dimes every, like stuff that I have post, it usually is reposted from her. So like, go there and get the, get the sources first. But Kia, thank you so much. I do wanna close this out with the meditation. If you guys have questions, you know that you can always reach out and we'll be able to help either answer that or direct you in an area for you to be able to receive the information. So again, we thank you. So everybody can just sit back and can close your eyes and just finding stillness. It's been a lot, a lot of information. So together, let's just breathe in through the nose and I want you to feel the lungs, the chest up like a balloon with air. And then exhale, side out of your mouth. Probably tightening, this is body taking moment neck around, you can even roll the shoulder, whatever you do, come into a place of stillness. I want you to take the biggest, fullest inhale that you've taken all day long. And I want you to hold at the top. And then I want you to exhale, release. I think we need one more of those breathing in. Fullest, biggest inhale, holding at the top. Next, exhale, release. Starting to soften the body. Start to notice areas of resistance. Maybe areas and shoulders are up by the ears. Relax them down. Allowing the mind to direct the breath to those places, again, that are existing, starting to soften, soles of the feet, the toes, softening, relaxing, the ankles, the legs, 
Allowing the thighs to relax. Again, allowing the mind to direct the breath as we inhale into the belly, to the ribs, to the chest and hold. Exhale, chest, ribs, belly. Again, inhale, belly, ribs, chest and hold. Exhale, chest, ribs, belly. Softening, relaxing the shoulders, arms, wrists, hands and fingers. We inhale all the way to the crown of the head and hold. Exhale. Inhale. One, two, three, four, and hold. Exhale. Take a moment in this space observe the body from the soles of the feet to the crown of the head. From the crown of the head to the soles of the feet. Again, we fill up all the way to the crown of the head. And we exhale, we release, we let go of fear and anxiety and just allowing us to show up, do the work. Everyone bring your hands to your heart. Take a moment to thank yourself, to honor yourself for creating space to continue to grow. The last biggest full inhale in, holding at the top. Exhale. And I'd like to thank you all for your time and your energy just showing up. The light and the energy I feel and I appreciate that. And let's just continue to show up together. Everyone have a wonderful night. We thank you again. If you have questions, feel free to reach out to us. Kia. Talk to you soon, my friend. Thank you, Kia. Y'all, please acknowledge that this is a hard conversation and it could be triggering. So take care of yourself tonight. Do some journaling, do some breathing. If you have questions, reach out to me and Ashley. Joanna, if you want to talk further, please email me. This is a, a complicated topic. We have a lot of resources from Kia to send you guys and we'll get those to you as soon as possible. Thank you for allowing us to go over a few minutes tonight. Thank you all so much. Thank you all for Thank being here. Thank you guys. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.
Yes, thank you. Thank you. Bye, y'all. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Ashley, did you say something to me? Yeah, I'm fine. Oh, okay. Instagram right now. What's your name? Is it your full name? You said my Instagram. It actually is uh, Jasmine, but it's spelled different. It's without the E. So it's J-A-S-M-I-N. And then it's underscore Noel, N-O-E-L-L-E. I'm glad you asked me because I was going to connect with you right after this. So <laughs> you beat me to it. There we are. Found it. Yay. And then I, I follow Kia too. She was the only 